The scripture reading tonight is taken from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read that chapter. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 29. Our focus, although we will be surveying that chapter, you know, preachers say, now leave your Bibles open, and then the preacher doesn't give you a reason to leave your Bible open. But we will be walking through these verses. So, you know, Paul sometimes has a a long involved argument, and I'm going to do my best to uh, make this argument clear. I'll try. Um, Clear for all. We're going to focus, though, on verses 10 through 14, but looking at the whole chapter. Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Oh, you are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot 
annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only. God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures confirmed, excuse me, confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thus far, a reading from God's holy word. May he bless that word to us. You perhaps, as you were reading this, why that gets thick. <laughs> and it does. Uh, Paul has a lot to say here. But maybe we can simplify some of this. In chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul writes this to those churches. Galatians is a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And he writes in verse 6, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of God. I, I marvel that you're turning away to a different gospel. I mean, any former pastor of yours would marvel. They'd be shocked if they found out about you. Yeah, we don't believe that stuff anymore about Jesus, that he's the only way, that he's the truth, and that it's all done by him, and that's how God loves and accepts us. And it's because he loves and accepts us in Christ that we can stand before him, not in fear, but in his warm embrace. Yeah, that's all still kind of true, but you got to do the following extra stuff besides. You see, it's that extra stuff besides that has Paul marveling, shocked. I marvel that really you're going to turn aside to a different gospel, though there isn't really another one, he says. There's not really another gospel. It's just a perversion of the gospel of Christ. That's the opening verses of chapter 1. This is all very relevant to celebrating a Reformation heritage 
again, as you even heard me in the prayer, not that we can get smug. I remember former eras where you could pack out churches in a Reformation rally and some guest speaker from somewhere, and we would all sing at the end a mighty fortress of our God and blow the rafters off the building, and it was a big night. I remember those days. And maybe it was good, but maybe it was also a little smug. Maybe you had to look at your own heart. We're it, and we know it. Thank you. And they don't get it, and we do. And we believe the right stuff, and they don't. It's possible to do that, but it's also possible to offer truly in praise and worship and devotion to God and humility and weakness of our own continuing battle with sin. Lord, this is the answer for me. This is what has Paul so moved, is if you deviate from this good message of salvation in Jesus Christ by grace, by promise, through faith, not by what you're able to do or how devoted you are or how hard you try. Do better. Try harder. Easy for Protestant preachers, reform. Pro- do better. Try harder. Are you doing better? Are you trying hard? You do better. Try harder. Harder. Better. Hard enough? Good enough? Better? Harder? Well, how good's that? I'll tell you right now, it's not good enough. That's the Galatians error. Bewitched under a spell of delusion. What has happened to you? How could you deviate away from Jesus Christ as your Savior and the only answer, the only hope? Not by denying Him, but by adding a mark in your flesh called circumcision. That was the error. It wasn't, we don't believe in Jesus anymore. Oh, yeah, we're all for Jesus. It's all grace. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you better have that mark in the flesh. Do you? Well, until you do. Paul says that's a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's something of the bewitchment he's after. And he wants to bring them back, clear the fog, get them out from under this crazy spell of confusion, and set them straight. And we still need that, and that's why bewitchment, why Reformation still needed today, because there's bewitchment then, and there's bewitchment today. Now, he spends all of chapter 2, well, the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, describing who he was as an oppressor of the church, because, you know, he knew about living by law. You want to live by law, man? Try, out, try to outlive Paul by law. You think it's done by law? 
I do the right things. I, I, I really repent when I break a command. I really follow the rules. I'm here twice. I tithe. I, you know, add up the stuff that matters to us and we kind of agree is a good way to live a Christian. I do it. It matters. God sees and it counts. You think so? You really think God's impressed and He's beholden to you now? You're bewitched if you think that. You are deluded. Deluded. So Paul says, you know, I used to live like that. I was a persecutor of the church and I went really after uh, those and and and... But God set me straight and it became clear that the good news of salvation wasn't just for those people who had the mark in the flesh. It was also for those who didn't have the mark in the flesh. And Peter and John and James, they kind of resolved, you know, we're best suited to preach the good news of Christ to those who do have the mark in the flesh, fellow Jews. But you, you, Paul... And Barnabas, people like you, you you have the gift to preach the good news of salvation to those who never had the mark in the flesh. And it doesn't matter. They don't need to get marked to be loved and accepted. They don't have to fulfill that little Old Testament circumstance. No, that's done with. And so he tells that story, but then he goes on to say... Hey, you know, in the midst of this, I, I, I once had to confront Peter to his face. Because while he was saying, that's right, it, the Gospels for people that have the mark in the flesh and don't have it. When he got around those who thought this mattered, he started acting kind of offish and cool toward Gentiles. And I stood up and I confronted Peter publicly in front of them all. What do you think you're doing, Peter? And he gave Peter and the other disciples a gospel lesson. He tells that story in chapter 2. And having told that story, which is a way of saying, hey, Galatian Christians, if Peter could slip... We can slip. He was discipled by Jesus Christ himself. And he got confused here. Are we going to get confused? Not with circumcision, but something else we want to add to the gospel to make us count, to make us acceptable, to make us matter so that God says, okay, now you're okay. Blood of Jesus, sure, 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 sure. But but this, oh, that too, now you're okay. That's a different gospel. That's unreformed, and that's counter-reformation. So there's this version of doing that then, and there's a new version of doing that today. So he starts out in chapter 3, Who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you, crucified? Who do you look to? A moral example Jesus or a crucified Jesus? 
Sure, Jesus can be a moral example, but that's his moral example isn't what saves you. If I can just be like Jesus enough, God will like me and love me like Jesus, and 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 and, and I can be counted as a child because I live like Jesus. I do what Jesus would do. I hope you do, but that's not how you're right with God, ever. So he says, Paul tells them, how did you receive Christ? This is the first three verses. How did you receive Christ? Did you receive Christ by, because I was a good law keeper? No. Or or was it by the hearing of faith? A good message of grace came, and I said, Lord, I need that. I I fall into the arms of your grace. Have mercy on me, the sinner. Which was it? Here I am. I'm doing it right. Or, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. It's have mercy on me, the sinner. I put my hope and trust in Christ. That's how it was. You know that, Galatians. You know that's true. And then, starting at verse 6, he makes the point, not only was that true for you, that's how it's always been. It's not like, well, yeah, back in the Old Testament, the way you got right with God was by being right, by living right, by being covenantally faithful enough. And if you could do it enough, try harder, do better, well, then, okay. No, he says, it was always by grace. It was always by mercy. It was always by God provision of another on your behalf for you. Done for you. Do you believe that, Galatians? That's why he talks there just as Abraham. Why talk about Abraham? Because Abraham was accepted as righteous by his trusting and believing and depending upon God. In fact, you know that sometimes he rather flunked and failed at living rightly. Is he done for then? Well, if Abraham's done for in his failure to live rightly, you're done for in your failure to live rightly. I'm done for. We're all done for. The world's done for. God already knows we're done for by what we're able to do. You can't do it well enough. You can't try Hard enough. Because you're broken down sinners. Without rebirth, you're even dead in sins. And even with rebirth, you still struggle against the flesh and the devil. Our own catechism reminds us that the obedience we perform in this life is just a small beginning. It's like little toddlers learning to climb up on next to the sofa and take their little steps you know, and they even venture off from the sofa and take a few steps. Yay! That's our obedience. Impressive? No! Then why do we depend on that? Look, Lord, I have a mark in my flesh now. It matters, doesn't it? And Paul, his point is, if that's what you think... If you think a little law obedience is what gets it done, yeah, I got news for you. If you're going to live by the law to be right with God, you got to keep the whole thing 
all the time, always, in every way, 100%. Love God all the way, always. Your neighbor all the way, always. And everything else you can think of. Do you? This is why there was a Reformation. Not because the Church of Rome didn't believe in Christ and His atoning work. Not that they didn't have any message of grace. It's not even that they taught, no, forget Jesus, it's your works. That wasn't it. It's Jesus Christ, yes, and now do these works. Our version of doing that sometimes is ever trying to make our faith authentic by our works. So that trust in Jesus, I do. But do you really? I think I do. Well, how are you living? Well, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't live perfectly, but you should. But how, how are you doing? Do better. Try harder. Do better. And now you're not looking at him. You're back to looking at yourself. Harder, better, harder, better. Misery or arrogance. There's your two choices when you look at yourself. Yeah, I'm doing it all right. I'm better than them, better than my sister, better than my brother-in-law, better than that church, better. We're better. Look, yeah, God has to be impressed. Are you bewitched? Or it's despair. Oh, I'm such a failure, Lord. I'm I'm a repeat offender, and I'm so offensive, and... I gotta do better. I gotta try harder. I gotta. Oh, the misery! Jesus once said, "Come to me, you heavy burdened people. Find some rest. I'm gentle and lowly, not harsh and mean. Come find rest for your soul." And this is why Paul is pulling out all the stops. Man, don't you get it? Don't you see? Don't you understand? So what about this law business? Well, he started with Abraham with a big fat promise of salvation by grace through faith. Yeah, but then Moses comes along with all these rules, that big fat law. What about that? And what does he say? Law came 430 years later. We act like it was the other way around. It was all about law and doing law, and then God got became a softy and got gracious along the way. No! Grace, grace, grace by faith. 430 later comes Moses. Does what Moses do negate, annul, vanquish what the promise was to Abraham? Paul says here, No! Never! Oh, what's the law for then? And he says, well, law does some interesting things. Starting at verse 19, he makes the big point. The law is really good at being a sin revealer. Are you a sinner? Hmm, Good as the next guy. The law comes along and says, well, why don't you start measuring your life by law, not by the next guy? And, you know, the summary of the law is really good at that. That's how our catechism does it. You want to be a law guy, huh? Okay. 
Well, let's see how big a sinner you are. Do you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength all the time? No. Flunk. F. Love your neighbor as yourself? No. F. Sure you want to be a law guy? It's not going to work out for you. It's a great sin revealer. It's also, ironically, for sinners, the law is a sin intensifier. Mm -hmm. God gives the law, and what do rebellious, sinful people do with it? Oh, yeah? Don't commit adultery? I think I will. Love your neighbors yourself? I think I won't. Don't covet? I think I do. In fact, I think I'm provoked to covet when God says don't covet. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans 7. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Why? The law, because this is what a rebellious heart does. Don't tell me what to do. Don't show me what's right. Don't tell me I'm in the wrong. The law comes and it reveals sin and it intensifies Sinners act more sinfully, showing us we're sinners. What's the law for? There you see it. Look at Israel's history. Comes with Moses, the law, and she flunks and rebels and rebels and fails and rebels and fails. It's a pretty miserable history, isn't it? It's a law, it's a sin intensifier, a sin revealer. This is what Paul says in verses 19 and following. It does something else besides. The law acts as kind of a, the translation here is tutor. Other translations, guardian. But it also makes the point, it's sort of a prison house. The law boxes you in. It shows you you're a sinner. It kind of gets you in jail. The verdict of guilty, failure, the verdict of rebel against God. And the law serves as this tutor, this guardian supervising you because on your own you have no ability to love God and you won't do it. And you won't even acknowledge you're a sinner unless the law kind of sits on your face and says, yes, you are. Look, that's why we have a law. But the law wasn't negating the gracious promise to Abraham that carries through history and is fulfilled in Christ because who's the seed, finally, of Abraham? Not all those little boys and girls. The seed that brings blessing is capital S, Christ. Grace done for you crucified, accomplished. This is what the Reformers were pleading for. We've got to get back to the Gospel, all done by Christ, accepted, loved, received the warm smile of God upon us in His Son. Because a lot of people view God as a bully, a meanie, a grouch, who's hostile to us, who despises us, who can't stand us, doesn't want us around, but he, what? John 3.16, but he only so loved a befouled world that he gave his only begotten son for sinners like us. 
that whosoever performs the works of the law shall have... No! Believes in Him. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Paul makes very clear here, because we're children of God by faith in Christ, we're sons, verse 26, for you are all sons of God, sons and daughters of the King of the universe through faith in Christ Jesus. Sons. Sons, therefore, heirs. Not slaves. Not servants. Not employees, not illegal aliens, sons, daughters, heirs. You get baptized in Christ, you put on Christ. It's not about are you Jewish, are you Greek, are you a slave, literally, or free. It's not whether you're a man, it's not whether you're a woman, In Christ, it's the same grace that makes us one, the same salvation, the same mercy. And when you belong to Christ, you are of that seed of Abraham because you're found in the big capital S, seed, that's Christ. So how are we bewitched today? We become bewitched any time we think there's something we're doing, even if it's wholesome Christian living, even if it's things that are in themselves perfectly fine. After all, circumcision in itself was something God commanded and was fine. Up until, and now I count because of it. I enjoy two worship services on Sunday. Commendable that there's churches that still turn out well for two worship services. It's a good way to use the Lord's Day. It's fitting. It's edifying. It's upbuilding. And God's pleased until, and now I can be conceited about it. Then it's not. We're better than you, and God sees and notices, and we count, and we're acceptable, and you're not. I thought it was all about the blood of Jesus. Yeah, but see, we really see what we've done. We go to Jesus, and then we go to ourselves, and then we make ourselves matter. That's bewitchment. I know there's a kind of Christianity out there, it's called antinomianism, if you want a fancy title, that acts like, well, believe in Jesus and live how you want. Of course, that's not true. But it's also not true. Believe in Jesus and live for him, and how you live for him is how you're right with him. That is bewitchment today. And so you discover this misdirected pride in ourself. Pride in the gospel, humility. I mean, it's like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor 
the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are... Not because they're categories of people, because that's what Christians are. They're not entrance requirements. They're descriptions of what Christians are. How can you be a Christian except you come in poverty of spirit for an answer you have not yourself? You come empty-handed. Lord, I can't. You can. You have. I look to you for help. How can a Christian come to Christ, but I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness? That one can punt. But hungering and thirsting for righteousness isn't how we're right with God. Notice I hunger and thirst for righteousness and better than my cousin does. Notice, Lord. Yeah, I notice. And it discounts you. It's a minus in your column now. Precisely because of this misdirected pride. Sadly, we live in times, congregation, in which the moralism is just spills out all over the place. There's moralism on the right and there's moralism on the left. A miserable life of, are you good enough? Do you live right? Do you think right? Think of, think of us trying to matter for God. Lord, yeah, I'm not getting rid of Jesus. It's still Jesus, still His blood, still grace. Yeah, 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 yeah. But see, it becomes yeah, 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 yeah. And that should never be that. Plus, what? On the left, I live small. I live green. I'm frugal. I don't waste resources. I care about the right people, oppressed people. None of those things are bad to be frugal and care about environment. That's good stuff to care about people who are oppressed, who are born poor, disadvantaged. We should have compassion. All good stuff until you get smug about it. Now I'm righteous, you're not. Look, Lord, here's my shred, my little shard of why I matter more than the next guy. Works righteousness, that's what that is. And you can do it on the right. Look how I give. Look how I worship. Some people, you don't even have to be a believer. You can be a total unbeliever and live by works righteousness. Look at my life that's full of adventure and achievement. I don't live a mundane life. I do neat, nifty things. Look how I take care of my body and my fitness. How I really uh, know that life is short and you've got to maximize what you have. And I do. Do you? No, you're beneath me. Works righteousness. In fact, we live in a culture that makes the Puritans look licentious. Our culture today looks in all directions. Marijuana is legal, but smoking is the worst sin you can commit. Smoking pot? Ah, why not? Smoking cigarettes? Ah! From unbelievers. Unbelievers. 
But the thing is, is I'm, I'm right, you're wrong. I matter, you don't. I'm up here, you're down there. And it happens in the church, too. Nothing wrong with fitness. Nothing wrong with taking care of your body. Nothing, all kinds of things can be good in themselves until the reason I count and God knows that I matter and I know I matter and I'm a step above the rest is this. Be it, Lord, are you bewitched? You're deluded, my friend. Conceit turns grace alone into an unlived motto because you can't plead Jesus and you can't plead grace and you can't say faith alone while you look at your neighbor with conceit. The world smells conceit on Christians. And they say, no, thank you. I feel quite diminished and judged and pushed back from you. I smell it on you. No, thank you. Because that isn't the good news of salvation. That isn't John 3.16. It wasn't God so loved a wonderful, wholesome world that was in love with Him and was walking in faith and pleading for Him and desiring Him and longing for Him to be obedient to Him that He gave His only begotten Son. That's not the world. In fact, look up every instance of world in the Gospel of John. The world's in rebellion. The world is astray. The world's in darkness. The world snuffs out the light. The world shakes its fist in God's face. It's while we're yet sinners Christ died for us, not when we had become wholesome. We're justified by faith, not by repentance. And if we are going to get the Reformation right and understand where we're bewitched today, we need to stop thinking that our repentance is is our sanctification that earns our justification. It doesn't. It can't. You can't be that sanctified and that repentant so that God sees your broken heart and you're sorrowing for your sins and saying, well, now you're good enough to be forgiven. Now you're sincere. Now you've tried hard enough and you've done well enough. Okay, you've lifted yourself up in sanctification enough. Now you're good for some justification. Never! But I fear that's an error that plagues Protestant churches. I'll get good and repented, and now I'm sanctified this much from where I was, and now I can get some justification. It's not the Reformation at all. We're not justified by repentance, but by empty-handed looking to Christ, His cross, God's gift. Even with feeble faith, and repentance is quite inadequate, isn't it? Do you realize you don't even know all your sins to repent of them? 
You realize there's people that have sins they don't acknowledge as sins? You see this happen in families. Well, he won't say his story. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. Well, I think he did something wrong. He didn't. I didn't do anything wrong. And people do that with God, too. Therefore, they're forever unforgiven, as if we're only forgiven because we can think of all our sins and repent of every one of them and, and then try living that life. That's what Luther tried. He would spend all this time in confessional naming, thinking of every sin he could think of and walk out, Oh, I forgot one! And it doesn't take much to walk down the street and commit more in your head. That's not our that's not our status in Christ. We're embraced, loved, forgiven because of what's done for us. The Spirit is bestowed so that we cry, Abba, Father, and we fall into our Father's arms as needy children. And that's why it's good news. That's why it's grace alone. The law, you can't get it done. The law, dear friends, and I'll end here, the law is like a lifeguard chained to her post. Stop running. Blowing the whistle. Cut that out. You're going to bang your head. You're going to slip and crack your skull. Stop it. Quit dunking that child. No, 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 no. Do this. Swim right. Uh, You're going to drown. That's the law. But when the lifeguard's chained to the post, if you start drowning, he can't jump in to save you. Neither can the law. Only the gospel saves us. Because the gospel's Christ who saves us. And because he saves us, We can pursue a Christian life that's never marked by pride, but always by empty hands. Always looking to Jesus. That's why you can die looking back at your life with its failures and repeat offenses and find rest for your souls. Done for us. That's the Reformed biblical message of salvation, the Bible's message. Amen. Lord, strengthen us in this good news. Forgive us when we're led astray from it. Protect us and call us back always to it. And bless this to your church more and more. Give ears to hear and hearts to receive it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing in response number 244, the mighty fortress is our God, naturally, of course, which is based on Psalm 46. So we rise to sing and give praise to God for his mighty strength.